Welcome to the Unplugged Podcast with Debo Zarco, episode 37. Hello, hello, and welcome to another awesome week of the Unplugged Podcast, where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by co-creating a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and interconnected world. And this is the place where you get to hear inspiring interviews with athletes, activists, authors, artists, yogis, and everyday paradigm busters as we journey together into the infinite depths of the human heart to remember, through the power of story, who we all are at the core of our beings. And I'm your status quo crushing host, Debo Zarco, welcoming you to your weekly dose of authentic expression and open-hearted inspiration. And this week, I have the honor of speaking with Wise Yogini and my absolutely dear friend, Sylvie Gouin, about a topic that seems to be pretty hot these days. And yeah, there's a lot of hot topics, but this one's pretty hot and it's it's all about balance, about living a balanced life. And does anybody even know what that means? You know, everybody talks about it, but nobody actually knows what it means. So today we talk about that in great depth. And balance is one of those many loaded words that, okay, I'm going to have to vent here, okay? It's been hijacked and it's been watered down and it's been distorted by the floofy new age movement. And for some reason, many of the words taken on by this movement just seem to lose their oomph because they often imply that you have to be a certain way in order to be whatever the word is. And in this case, balanced. The new age definition of balance is at least for most people pretty unattainable. And you know, that just ends up causing guilt and it just makes us feel crappy. Now, I know that I tend to come down hard on the new age mindset and uh, I have very personal reasons for doing this. And I've also seen this movement confuse and hurt so many people, including members of my own family. You know, really when it comes down to it, in the end, it's just morphed into another ploy to keep us looking outside of ourselves for answers and guidance that has always and will always exist inside each and every one of us. And when I'm talking about the New Age movement, I'm talking about all this talk about fifth dimensional ascension, the law of attraction, astral projection, channeling, balance, angels, pendulums, and what I now call spaced out woo-woo love, okay? Which is totally different than the powerful love, you know, the, the transformative love that I talk about. The love of interbeing, which means interconnection with all life on this planet, okay? We're actually, I'm, you know what, little spoiler alert. I'm going to be speaking in great depth about this topic with someone really, really awesome in a few weeks. So hang tight for that one. We've got a lot of topics to cover. It's probably going to be a two-parter because I think we're going to go deep on this one. Um, but yeah, when, when we talk about love, it's like, it's a powerhouse. There's nothing fluffy about it. 
So back to like my thoughts about the new age movement, you know, really what started off with good intentions, and I'm not going to deny that it had good intentions, you know, same with religion. I guess it had good intention at one point, intentions at one point too. But in both cases, the human mind has poisoned it. And, you know, I'm talking about the ego mind. And in the end, it's just become another form of dogma with a different set of rules. So there you have it. That's my new age rant for the month. So with that out of the way, back to today's regularly scheduled program where we speak about balance from a grounded, non-new agey perspective that has stood the test of time in the ancient yogic tradition. And Sylvie, I interviewed her way back in podcast episode number two. If you haven't heard it, it's an awesome interview where she shares her journey towards yoga and how it has transformed her life. And she's not one of these Lululemon, bendy exercise kind of yogis. Like Sylvie actually embodies yoga. So uh, I highly recommend interview number two. And I have her back again this week because she just has such a plethora of wisdom that I am so eager to share with you. And today she offers a, a, a deeply meaningful outlook on balance that really makes sense and offers fresh perspectives on non-judgmental self-awareness. Really, that's what it boils down to. And just that you know, this week's conversation is for everyone, whether you're a practicing yogi or not. It makes no difference. Sylvie's wisdom is applicable for all of us. Now this week we dive really, really deep into what exactly balance is and how we must be conscious of what she calls the three cycles of nature and how they influence our life. And trust me, this is a fascinating topic and it really explains balance so well. It just makes so much sense. And we also speak in great depth about non-attachment and what that really means and how it's the absolute key to balance. And uh, just a quick FYI, non-attachment does not mean not caring. And we talk all about that today as well. So without giving too much away, I invite you to enjoy today's awesome conversation with Sylvie Gouin, who offers a flexible and attainable approach to balanced living. Today, we have the wonderful Sylvie Gouin who's going to talk about balance. And I'm really excited to have her on the show again today because she always offers so much wisdom and she's going to share so much more with everyone today. And I'm, um, I'm very grateful to have you with us again today, Sylvie. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Deb. I always uh, love the opportunity to be able to talk about yoga. And today what I'd really love to share with people is something that has been incredibly meaningful to me and has also been uh, incredibly meaningful to all the people that I know who are now aware of looking at life from this perspective. It's something that I've learned through the studying the philosophy of yoga, mostly of Hatha yoga and Raja yoga. And once we start to see um, these patterns in our everyday life, it really helps us to have an experience of balance that goes beyond the concept of living with balance. 
Before you dive into it, can you explain just a little bit about the difference between Hatha and Raja Yoga? Because I think that, um, we've talked, we just talked about this just moments ago, but about this perception of yoga still just being kind of like a fitness class with, uh, you know, with, with chanting and with a little bit of meditation thrown in, but let's, let's, let's debunk that once and for all. And, and you can explain just a little bit more about like go into a little more depth about what, what yoga really is and especially the different components of it. So some of the, um, the main traditional styles of yoga, they're called jnana yoga, mantra yoga, bhakti yoga, um, raja yoga, hatha yoga, karma yoga. Those are traditional forms of, uh, of yoga. What we mostly see in the West today are uh, Sometimes in some schools, what they do is they take a little bit of hatha yoga, and the word hatha means forceful. It's the forceful uniting of opposing energies. And the hatha yoga is the yoga that actually focuses on the body, where you see, so not just in terms of the asanas, what we know as the yoga postures, but also in terms of cleansing practices to cleanse the body of impurities, simple things like not overeating is a form of cleansing, if you will, or um, or being conscious of what you eat. There's different breathing techniques. There's also the practice of meditation that's involved in there. And then uh, the other styles of yoga, some of them focus on um, the yoga of action, you'll say, the yoga of how I live my life on a daily basis and the ability to be of service, to see that life in essence is yoga you know i can go through life as a mechanical human doing or i can go through life as a mindful human being i have the choice and the realization that i have the choice provides me with a an opportunity to wake up to the fact that i'm alive and to the fact that i can continuously react to my life or i can start to respond so that kind of thing you know and that yoga is not something that happens on the mat and then the rest of my life is something else but that it really uh is a manifestation of how i live my life so it's it's a it's a lifestyle it's a philosophy it and it's a lifestyle as well as a movement practice yeah so as far as i know the word philosophy um, it's two different, um, so it's like philo and sophie. So philo is love, sophie is wisdom. So philosophy is the love of wisdom. Mm. And as far as I know, in the styles of yoga that I practice, there's not really a word for philosophy. It's more like a darshan, which means a philosophy is only valued if it can be implemented. So if you can learn something, you know, that expands your mind and actually apply it in your everyday life, then we're interested in that. And the other thing, too, that's really uh, interesting in these schools of yoga is that you don't have to believe in anything that you don't want to believe in. The process is about getting to understand why you believe what you believe and to see how what you believe impacts your everyday life and how attached you are to what you believe and how what you believe is serving you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they'll provide different um, 
different theories in terms of how to live our life. Let's say for most schools of yoga, at least the ones that I've studied, uh, what we call ahimsa, which is nonviolence, is integral. It is essential. So you'll be asked to reflect on the idea, the concept, the energy of nonviolence. And uh, not just in action, but also in thought and in words. And to see how violence manifests in your life, to see how nonviolence manifests in your life, and to start reflecting on what you want to fuel on a daily basis and how it serves you to fuel those things and to start moving towards something instead of seeing it as either I'm like this or I'm like that. And it's it's black or it's white, but to be able to move towards maybe a little bit more brightness in my life, a little bit more lightness, a little bit more expansion. You know, one of the things that I like to do when I teach a workshop is if I have a dimmer, I turn the light off completely. And then I say, when we want to learn something, we have a tendency of thinking, okay, so now I'm in darkness. And then I turn the light on completely bright and everybody kind of squints. (laughs) And we think, okay, once I get that, I'll be there. But look, we're all squinting. We don't want it. It's too much light too fast. So it's the acceptance that the light happens little by little and and that that's okay so that we can get adjusted to a new way of experiencing our le- ourselves and a new way of experiencing our life that is meaningful and that the light goes on and then it goes back down. <laughs> And then it goes back up and then it comes back down. But it rarely, we rarely go from pure darkness to, um, to pure light. Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful metaphor. I can, yeah, I can totally, I can see it and I can feel it. And I'm going to use that one too. (laughs) So, so, okay. So can you explain a little bit about Raja yoga? So that's the, we would say is the, uh, the word Raja is the, the, means the royal yoga and uh, it's the yoga of meditation. It, but in order to practice or to have an experience of meditation, there's a whole uh, process of how we live our life that needs to be integrated. And um, the traditions will tell us that there's no Hatha yoga without Raja yoga and there's no Raja yoga without Hatha yoga. So that these two go hand in hand. If you want your Hatha yoga practice to flourish, it also needs to be married with a Raja yoga practice. Although in the traditional schools of Hatha yoga, meditation is still involved, but it's uh, it's still described that way to bring those two schools to life uh, together. So we look at our body as our home and uh, and we think about keeping our home clean clutter-free, taking care of it. You know, there's certain things that that our home needs uh, in order to function, in order <laughs> to be uh, pleasant to live there. And it's the same thing with our body. So what does my body need in order for me to have a comfortable home? You know, well, it needs food, it needs hydration, it needs rest, it needs exercise. So the um, the the methodologies of how to do this are offered to us, you know, uh, what to eat or what not to eat. Um, uh, and then, of course, the asanas in terms of keeping our body moving in balance. But it's still important to know that what we consider 
the goal of yoga today, often like the reason that people come to yoga, traditionally, that was the tool that would allow you to practice yoga. So what we consider the goal is actually the tool of traditional yoga. For example, most people come to yoga because they're looking to reduce pain in their body. They want to have more flexibility. They want to potentially age gracefully. They want to be stronger. They want to improve their digestion. They want to, they've heard that it will help with insomnia. Like all of those things fall under a category that once I have that in my life, once I have positive energy flowing through my body, once I'm sleeping well, once I can uh, do all of these things, then I'm more interested in diving deeper within my yoga practice. But before that, um, then my entire focus is in trying to find that balance. But what's so interesting when it comes to balance, because the word balance is, it's really used in our culture. Yeah, we, we hear it a lot these days. Find the balance, live in balance, be with balance, the balanced approach, balance, balance. But what's the definition of balance? Mm -hmm. You know, we have, we'll hear that word balance and then we create an image in our head. It's not really a clear cut image, but we create an image and it's an image that is very based on external things being perfectly presented to us. And that rarely happens. So basically, we're setting ourselves up for attachment and for failure because we've got an image. We're not too sure what that image is. And it's an image that can't be attained. And then we get attached to it. So, or it comes and it's just, it's fleeting. You know, there'll be a week or two where we feel, oh, I'm so energetic, I'm positive, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I've finally got balance. And then what happens? It breaks down. And we think, oh, but I had it. So that's why it's valuable to have an awareness of what I'll be talking about today, to be able to see those patterns in our life and to reduce the attachment to expectations and to have a sense of what it is that we're actually looking for. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And before we talk about balance, I actually have a question that's been kind of coming up for me lately is uh, I've been reading and hearing a lot about Agni Yoga. I'm not, I'm not, am I saying that right? Agni Yoga? Mm -hmm. Do you know much about that? As in fire? Yeah, yeah. Can you explain a little bit about that? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. We'll leave so, that one. <laughs> Sometimes what happens, like um, often today, what we see, the different styles of yoga that we see is someone will study, let's say, Hatha yoga and uh, Raja yoga and Bhakti yoga. And they, they'll take little pieces of Hatha, little piece of Raja, little piece of Bhakti. And then they'll say, practice this, this, this and this. And then they give it another name. Okay. Yeah. So that could be that, or it could be a traditional form of Tantra yoga that I'm not sure, familiar with, which school it's from, or because there's so many different schools. You have Hindu-based yoga, Buddhist-based yoga, Jain-based yoga, and now people even mix differently. Like they'll 
mix, let's say, one, one or two schools of traditional Hindu-based yoga with one or two schools of Buddhist-based meditation practice, maybe with a little Pilates and a little uh, something that was learned in chiropractic school. And then that becomes something else. That becomes a whole other school of yoga. So that's why we see all of these new styles of yoga coming together is because they're because we in our culture have access to so much that we can do that we can take elements from different schools and do what's important to us and then start breathing life into that that's a that's a very interesting answer actually and it makes a lot of sense because you're right we are seeing so many different things out there that people are calling yoga but they're really just integrative approaches to um, to something that does have some yoga in it. But yeah, that's okay. Cool. But sometimes too, like it is because yoga is so, it's so big. It's so vast. Like it, it provides us with so much. One of the um, analogies that I like using is the analogy of the carrot or the analogy of the, the full vegetable path. So patch. So let's say you take a, you take someone who eats no vegetables, for example, and, you know, their digestion is starting to bug them. So someone says, well, you know, you need fiber in your diet. So you take the fiber out of the carrot and then all you're left with is the fiber. And this person takes a little bit of fiber. So, wow, I feel amazing. Fiber is great. So now they tell all their friends, you've got to get some fiber. This is phenomenal. I just feel so good. So if they just keep that little bit of fiber that they take in, it's great. It won't do too much damage. But let's say that instead of telling their friends, I'm eating fiber, I'm eating fiber, they say, I'm eating a carrot, I'm eating a carrot. You've got to eat these carrots. They're amazing. But really, they're only pulled out the fiber from the carrot. Now, take that same person who thinks that who feels good with a little bit of fiber. And then they say, well, if I have more fiber, then I'll feel even better. So now they increase their fiber load, but they don't increase the water. So what originally made them feel better is now making them feel worse. Mm. So what if that person now turns around and says carrots are bad for you? And no, carrots are not bad for you, but an excess amount of fiber at the expense of vitamins, minerals, and water is not comfortable. And that's what we do with yoga. Asana practice, the practice of yoga postures, is one piece of the practice, but it's part of a whole. Like it's, you know, the fiber comes to life when it's with vitamin C, <laughs> vitamin A, beta carotene, you know, it's got to be all blended together. And also when it's part of the whole vegetable patch, you can't just take one element out of one vegetable, overuse it and then blame the vegetable. <laughs> and that's what we're doing with yoga. And we do we're that with so many things in this culture. And then not only will we do that, but we'll pull out the, the fiber and we'll mix it with red dye number six and all sorts <laughs> of other things. <laughs> oh my gosh, it just makes me, <laughs> it makes me laugh at the lunacy of, of what we do. So yoga, 
But yoga is a full garden. It's the yoga practice. It's rich, 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 rich. It has so much to offer. The asanas are wonderful. And, and anywhere anyone starts, like whatever it is that takes you to yoga is fabulous. And whoever teacher that makes you want to come back is fabulous. Just keep going, keep showing up and be willing to start over and be willing to be a beginner. Like I, I always say it takes years to become a beginner in yoga, you know, just like be open to that and uh, and it's uh, another way that I'll talk about the yoga practice is it's a really good stock like whatever you invest in it it will give you a way better return <laughs> but it takes commitment it takes practice and and it takes a willingness to start over often so and that's what I want to talk about too today is is to be able to see how to find uh how to find that balance. Well, let's dive into that now. Let's let's talk about about balance because that is such a buzzword these days and I think you're right. I, a lot of people don't really know what that means. You're right. I, like even when I think about it myself, when I think about balance, I have this perception that it's something that um I should be I I I should be able to attain for a lengthy period of time. But that's not the case. But, but even when you say that something I should be able to attain, what is that something? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess a, a state of inner peace. When I think of balance, personally, I think of a state of inner peace where my life is in a state of flow and um, I'm feeling like I'm on purpose and I'm content and life is just kind of simple and easy. That's that to me is balance. If I had to just like kind of describe it on the fly, that's what balance feels like to me. Okay, so let's say we take the the feeling of peace, for example, and we take um okay, so we take the feeling of peace or the feeling of contentment, and then we take uh my life is flowing, right? We take those two pieces and we compare it to the ocean. So imagine the ocean, you've got the top of the ocean, the surface of the ocean, and then you've got somewhere down deep in the ocean. So let's say that down deep in the ocean is where we find the peace and the contentment. And then at the top of the ocean is where we find my life is going in flow. So my life is going in flow is always true because sometimes the ocean needs to be wild. Sometimes the ocean needs to be steady and sometimes the ocean needs to just kind of go up and down like that. Mm -hmm. But if I think that the only time I'm in balance is when the surface is going perfectly, then I'm creating an attachment to that surface, which means that the moment that surface is going in the flow that I want, I'm attached to it. And the moment I'm attached to something, I am equally afraid I'm going to lose it. So pleasure and pain become the same like that. To be able to see that the, the, the experience of peace, the experience of contentment is there for us, even when the flow at the top changes, is what leads us to a deeper and deeper experience of balance. Because the surface is always going to change. No one's going to be in a place where on the surface, everything's in that, the image that we've created of the perfect flow all the time. Even if you think like, think about it from an athletic perspective. 
Uh, so let's say a run. So some days you go for a run and it's like, <sighs> some days you go for a run and it's nice and flow. It feels really good. But regardless of how good of a runner you are or how good of a cyclist you are, you're always still going to have days where your legs feel heavy and days where you feel light. It's just part of that natural cycle. And so in order to talk a little bit more about the balance, I have to introduce two different uh, concepts. So one of them, first I'm going to give a definition of balance, and then I'll talk about what we call the strands of nature, and then how to bring the definition of balance or a definition of balance to life when we look at the cycles of nature. Go for it. Okay. A definition of balance is practice and non-attachment. Practice and non-attachment. So in order for me to have an experience of balance, I have to equally practice. I have to equally show up for my life. I have to make an effort in the morning to get up. I have to make an effort in the morning to do things that are uplifting and that bring life to my everyday life. I have to practice. And in order for the practice to bear fruit, I have to equally be detached from my expectations of what I think the practice will give me. That's the key. And that's the yeah. challenge. That's the challenging part for most people. Is the detachment. Yeah. Some people have a really hard time with the practice too. Like some people are at a place sometimes in their life where they feel stuck, where they've lost the motivation and they just don't have what it takes or they don't know how to get the fire going again. So what do and, you suggest? What do you suggest for those people? Okay. So, but first I have to explain more about this first okay. and then we'll come back to that. So one of the most important things to do is to journal about what it means to be detached because in our mind, I talk about this often in workshops or teacher trainings when we start to talk about detachment. People will say, oh, yeah, I totally understand that detachment and non-caring are two different things, right? I get that. But then the conversation starts to happen and we discuss different things and how detachment can manifest in our life. And they find themselves saying things like, well, well, then I won't care. And then they go, oh, so unconsciously in my mind, I am putting detachment and non-caring in the same manner. And that's why I'm afraid to be detached of something. So it's really valuable to journal about non-attachment, find a, uh, some words in a relationship with what it means to cultivate non-attachment, and then to also define non-caring so that we can clearly see in our mind that when we are unattached to something, we still care. They're two very different things. It's actually, I think, um, more caring to be un unattached because detachment comes from love. It comes from acceptance, mm -hmm. whereas uh, non-caring comes from fear. Two different things. So to start having a relationship with that and also to... Um, to start having a relationship or really developing the eye, like the Hawkeye of what you are attached to. We all have very different things that we're really attached to. So some people are 
highly attached to their material things. And some people are attached to uh, how they perceive themselves based on the material things that they've uh, accumulated. Some people are attached to their titles. Some people are attached to all their don'ts, you know, which is something sometimes you'll see uh, in uh, maybe in the more um, new age kind of world. Well, I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. And then our whole self-identity becomes about all our don'ts. And, and we become attached to our don'ts. Um, so it's to really have a, a clear view of, okay, what am I attached to? And then to ask ourselves the question, how does being attached to those things or how does being attached to those titles serve me? What would it mean to let go of the attachment to those things or to those titles? What would that look like in my everyday life? How would that impact my conversations? How would that impact my energy? Or, and do the opposite. What if I was more attached than I am now? How would that look like? How would that manifest? How would my words, my conversation sound like if I was even more attached than I am now? What we start to realize is that the more attached we are to something, the more narrow and closed off we become. Whereas the more unattached we are, the more expansive we become. And expansion feels light. Narrowness feels heavy. And when we say that we are seeking uh, balance in our life, often what we're seeking is that lightness of being, that openness. And uh, the quality of non-attachment really brings that expansion to life. So to start looking at that in our everyday life. And then also in terms of the practice, so some people have a lot of discipline and, uh, and that's a positive quality to have. But if the discipline is out of balance, for lack of a better word, the discipline can become very dry, you know, where it's all about the discipline. It's all about the result oriented. It's all about what's going to come after that. And, and, and then we think, okay, I've worked for this. I've worked for that. I've got this. I've got that. I'm still not happy. What's going on? Maybe I need more of it, more of it. And it's no, you don't need more of it. It's just more about letting go of the attachment towards it, but maintaining the fire of creation. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting what you say about how attachment causes that, that constrictive feeling. Cause I know yeah, I, I'm thinking about my own personal experiences. And whenever I feel attached, not only do I feel that, that, that constrictive confined feeling, but I also feel more stressed and I feel agitated and frustrated. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, there's a lot of unpleasant qualities that come up and it just, uh, and, and it causes friction in relationships. And yeah, there's just so much that, uh, so many problems that attachment causes. And, it, and when you're conscious enough to be able to, to look, to step outside of yourself and see, oh, there it is, I'm, I'm attached again, and you're able to let it go, you're right. You get into that expansive state where you do feel more loving as well. There is a lot more love. It's not uncaring, actually, to be, to feel that state of detachment. It's just getting to that, it's getting to that state of consciousness where you are able to detach and know that you are still caring. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a, that's a trick. And I know that it's taken me years to get to that state. 
and a lot of it has to do with the meditation and being, you know, living more a mindful life. What happens is that the the moment I get detached from something is I give that something space to be. Mm-hmm. So there's um there's a quote out there uh, that's going around, and the quote is, um, "Love the other person as to make them free," and and it's a it's a beautiful quote that people really love. But the thing is, if we were to sit down for even five minutes and reflect, okay, what is love? Well, the only way to love is so the other person feels free. I remember one year I had um, set an intention because I love to set intention. And my intention was, okay, I am open to receive and give love freely. And then I started to um, reflect on that and quickly realized that's the only way to love. You can't hold love. Either you love or you don't. Mm -hmm. And most of us love. When we don't, we fear. So non-attachment is directly interconnected with love and expansion and therefore caring. If I care about you, I don't want to prevent you excuse me, I don't want to prevent you from being you. And uh, and if I care about you, I want you to have your own experiences. And if I care about myself, I'm able to start letting go of attachments that I've created about who I should be and where I should be and what I should have and all of those shoulds that tend to really take the air out of us. Like we'll make <laughs> joke sometimes um, where we'll say, you know, you get to a certain point in your life and it didn't necessarily turn out the way you had planned. We're like, ooh, it's not what was in the brochure, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And it's often the way, like there's certain things you've worked so hard to create them. And now that you have them, you're just burnt, Mm -hmm. so tired. And you think... But what happened? You know, that's not what I thought. And often the reason that we're burnt or one of the reasons is certainly is the attachment and the expectations of how we think things should be or how we think we should be perceived. Because I create, so I know you and my mind creates an image of who you are. And based on that image of who I think you are, I expect you to be a certain way when I see you the next time, because that's who you are. And, and in that I can form an attachment and not want you to change. Because if you change, then that means I can change. And I don't want to change. (laughs) I want things to remain the same. So I've now created an attachment and I'm imposing it on you to be a certain way because I love you. No, because when you love someone, non-attachment, I mean, any parent knows this. Uh, having a child is very much about practice, 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 care, care, care. You're so there for them. But then you have to equally get out of the way and let them have their own experiences. Mm-hmm. It's the, the balance is essential. I remember when Isabel was about... 13 I'll say Um, because that's a a big year that 13 14 because they really change you know as a parent you're used to caring for them in a certain way and then they change and I think in many cases they change faster than we do at that period and Isabel in terms of how to be with them you know and Isabel and I were out for a walk and she says you know mom you need to realize that 
I need to fall right now. Like I need to have my own experiences. And not only do I need to fall, but I need to get back up by myself. But don't worry. If I can't figure out how to get back up, I know you're just there. <laughs> but I just need a bit of space. And it was such a good analogy to, to let me know, you know, that at that point I was kind of overshadowing just a little too much. But Part of the human experience, I think we're all guilty of that. And we think that it's it, you're, it's it's interesting because we do think that it's coming from a loving place. But you're right, it's it's not it's not pure love. It's coming from a place of I guess caring to some degree, but you're right, it's it's far more far more freeing for everybody when you finally get to that place where you can say, "Yes, it's you're right." It is your life. Mm -hmm. You know, I will be there when you when you fall. And if you need help, I will be there to, to, to help you get back up. But I need to let you live your own life. And it's liberating for everybody. Yes. Instead of saying, I told you so, and now figure it out for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I told you so kind of thing. You know, it's either you get my help or you don't. There's a place in the middle. But cultivating the, the qualities of non-attachment like right now we're talking about the child or relationship, and those are big places. We have to develop the muscle of non-attachment, and it's easier to do it with small things. Think about it like bicep curls. You know, you don't start with a 50-pound bicep curl. You start with, what, 10, 15, and then you build yourself up. So the same is true with the, the non-attachment. You have to look at the things that you're attached to and start with little things. Start letting them go. You know, like what are little examples of uh, wanting to go, supposed to meet a friend at a specific restaurant that you're really looking forward to go to and she wants to go somewhere else. Being able to let go of that attachment of what you were going to have at that restaurant say sure I'll do something else or something like that you know start with little things in your life of letting go of the attachment and see how it feels don't take my word for it in terms of my interpretation but explore for you in your life how attachment serves you and what more attachment would look like and how that would serve you and what less attachment would look like and how that would serve you. And then based on that, choose the direction you want to move in. And unfortunately, I think that if we don't do any work on it, we will just become more attached. I think the default setting is to move. Well, maybe not, but in some cases, you know, if you just think of um, the aging process and you ask yourself the question, where do I want most of my fine lines as I get older? Hmm. Yeah. So do I want an expansive facial expression or do I want a, something that looks angry? Hmm. Yeah, that's important. That's an important consideration. Yeah, it is. It really you know, just to to be aware of that and how it manifests and the direction that I'm moving in. Another thing about attachment too, I, I'm just listening, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking that when we get, you know, when we get into that mode, that mode of attachment, it also, it's disempowering too, because it puts us more into kind of a, uh, that victim mentality. Mm -hmm. 
as well. And that's, you know, that's a prevailing mindset in today's world. So I think attachment is, it's, it's huge. It's a really big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's not in the, um, the, the, the manual of life when we, <laughs> when we emerge into the world to be non-attached. It's a, it really is a continual practice. But it can be, you know, as, as parents, as friends, as aunts, we can start to bring those qualities to life in our everyday life and then trust that by living this, it has a ripple effect. You know, we, we all impact each other when we're around each other, the circles of friends that we hang out with and the conversations that we choose to entertain with the people that we are. And if I'm around someone who is expansive and non-attached and discipline, it fuels that fire in me. It inspires me to do that. So to, to trust that in ourselves, that the more we work on this, the more we give each other the permission to mm-hmm. work on. Yeah. The, the power of example. Mm-hmm. And to really think of the new generation coming up and provide them with as many of those tools as possible. Okay. So now the, the cycles of nature. And I won't be using the Sanskrit terms. I'm just going to keep it uh, in English. But you look at three uh, cycles of nature. So you've got the cycle of action. You've got the cycle, we can say, of containment or of purity. And then you've got the cycle of inertia. So if you look at anything that is part of the world of nature, think of a flower, for example. So if you want a flower, you have to actively, you need action to get out there, you know buy some seeds, plant the seed, take care of it, water it, do what needs to be done for the flower to grow. And then the flower is going to have the action of growing. Things are going to change. Leaves are going to come out. It's going to blossom. And at one point, it's going to reach its full potential. It's going to be just so beautiful. It's going to be at a place where it's fully contained. It has done that action energy. And now it's going to start to wilt. It's going to start to wilt. And eventually, it's going to die. No matter what you do to that flower, it will die. Everything in nature goes through that cycle. It has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. Um, so you can think about you can think of a building, for example, huge building. You, you got all this manpower building it, all these big machineries. At one point, this building is going to go down. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be there forever. We have a thought that comes, a thought that goes. They come in, they come out. Our emotions, they come to life. They bring all sorts of energy, and guess what? They pass, whether they're positive or they're negative. Everything has that cycle. And to start to see that cycle in everyday life enhances our ability to live in balance. Because the other way, um, we can get attached to a certain energy. So let's say you take the energy of action, for example. So we're going to break them down in three components like that, like action, purity, and inertia. So although everything in life goes through those cycles of nature, there is a resting place. So someone who lives in the world of action, someone who um, abides by the world of action, This person tends to be, for lack of a better word, action-oriented. 
This person is very attached and goal oriented. This person um, is highly competitive. This person has a tendency to be a little bit ostentatious, uh, possibly even arrogant, uh, very much attached to the accumulation of as many things as possible. Um, that type of energy. Someone who lives in the energy of inertia, for example, who uh, that's the underlying energy of their life, they tend to feel very heavy. They tend to feel like what you are talking about right now, um, a feeling of um, like you, you feel you're a victim. You know, you've just you've lost that sense of fire, that sense of energy, that sense of purpose. What's my purpose? I, I don't even understand things. Often in that state of energy, um, there's, we're more interested in being entertained. We're always looking for entertainment outside ourselves than we are in being of service. Um, we often feel uh, we look for the easy way out. You know, it's like, yeah, uh, things like that. Whereas the uh, energy of containment, that energy in the middle, is often what people come to yoga for. Like they don't know they're that part of that three world cycle, but they're looking for, they want to feel energetic, strong, and flexible. They want to have more patience. They want to be happier. They want to feel that their life is in balance. They want to be kinder to the people that are around them. All of those things, rather than being in the state of inertia where we are, or even in the state of action where we are very impatient, we tend to be rude with each other, um, have a lot of expectations in terms of what we want from the other person. Whereas in that state of more containment purity, we're more accepting of other people, not complacent, not lazy, but more accepting we are able to find that definition of balance that I'm talking about which is very much about practice 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 I love 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 you but I'm also able to let you be you 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 and be unattached to that I I can show up to my yoga practice to the mat and and accept the changes of my body of that play. I'm not always attached to my headstand being perfect, but I will practice and I will practice with discipline. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, it sounds like, um, it's also really important to remember though, too, that, uh, you know, when we get to that, that place of containment to, to remember self-forgiveness if we start tipping to, from one side to another, because the self-forgiveness is what brings us back to the containment. Exactly. So, and, and that's exactly that that's going to happen. So you have the energy of action, cont containment, sustainment, uh, purity, and then the energy of inertia. But then you have that underlying energy. So my underlying energy can be one of action, which means I still go through, like I get up in the morning, I do what needs to get done. I'm going to get to a point in my day where I feel, okay, things are being achieved. And at night, I'm going to need to sleep. So I'm still going to go through all the three cycles, but I'm going to go through them maybe more potentially in a manic and in a panic state where I'm trying to get as much out of it for myself as possible. 
And then the other way, if I'm in the state more of inertia, I'm still going to, depending on how heavy the state of inertia is, because the state of inertia can be very heavy where we don't want to come out of bed. But sometimes we're in that state of inertia and we do come out of bed, but it's heavy. And it's often followed by a form of complaining of some sort, um, you know, as first word. And then we go through the day um, just with that not knowing, like that feeling again of, of not being able to accomplish what we set out to accomplish or not even having a vision of what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Or even if we say, okay, I'm stuck right now. Like I was teaching a, a workshop recently on nutrition and sometimes the, the nutrition workshops can be very overwhelming. And one woman said, okay, so now you're telling me that I've got to start doing this, 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 and this. And I said, sure, if you want to set yourself up for failure, start off that way. So when we're in that state and we want to make changes, we will often make set up goals we unconsciously know we cannot attain to support our belief that we can't do it. So it's, um, it's this repetitive thought pattern where self-worth is the prevailing issue, sounds like. Yeah, or even the energy that surrounds us becomes very heavy. Something has happened and it's just become too heavy. And we don't know how to get that fire going again. We just, it's like, you know, we're at a fire camp and it's pouring rain. We have no clue where the matches are kind of thing. Mm. So, and we just, where am I going to find those matches? But the other thing that happens is, so sometimes these cycles are, they're very apparent. Like I'll get stuck in the state of inertia or I'll get stuck in the state of the action. And if I get stuck in the state of action, I will most likely burn out either at the end of the week or at the end of 10 years. And if I get stuck in, in the state of inertia, then I just feel most of the time defeated. So we're looking to get ourselves out of those energies and to find that place where there's more for lack of a better word, balance in our life. So we do all of these things to start bringing that quality of balance in our life. You know, we start eating better, we start exercising, we maybe take on a meditation class, go to yoga, read a positive book. Things are starting to feel a little bit better now. But what can happen is that feeling a little bit better, I can get attached to it. And the moment I get attached to it is the moment that I start losing it. And I start to get attached to this state never breaking down. I think that I should feel like this all the time. But nobody feels like that all the time. Regardless of how enlightened you are, how balanced you are, you're going to have moments of great energy and great passion, moments of containment, and moments where you're going to need to sleep a lot. You're going to need a nap. And, and if we can give ourselves that permission to sleep, to let go, or when something big happens in our life, to cry, the permission to exhale, the permission to be in that state of inertia in a positive way. Because I can be in the state of inertia with an, an energy of inertia underlying it or with an energy of containment underlying it. And if I allow myself to be in that state where things are, you know, breaking down right now and I need to to nap or whatever it is that, that I need, um, then I will potentially be able to find that 
creativity in my mind again, the heart, the passion to be able to do the work to start the fire of action again. And the more that I can see these cycles of nature in my life, the more balance I experience because I'm not attached to always being in that perfect state. Mm -hmm. I see. That makes perfect sense. I can see that the cycle of action, containment, sustainment, and inertia are just part of the world of nature. That's the cycle of it. So balance is really just is allowing the, the flow of life to occur naturally. And to keep showing up, you know, like to have the discipline to do the things that make me feel alive, but to also cultivate the ability to let go of attachment. And then in that way, allow the cycles of nature to be the cycles of nature and to know when, you know what, I've been stuck in that state of inertia too long right now. And it's clear that I can't get out of it by myself. I'm going to need to make a phone call mm -hmm. or it's clear that I've been stuck in that state of action too long. I'm burning out. I'm going to need to make a phone call. And, and most of us, I believe do so much better in a group setting. You know, it, it, there's so much value in being surrounded by like-minded people and being honest with each other and seeing that at the end of the day, we're all in this together. And, uh, you know, we all have days where we feel heavy, days where we feel we're in a manic or in a panic and we can't we can't get things done. You know, we just feel so burned out and days where things are uh, are more contained. Mm -hmm. and, and the realization that that containment will break down and therefore releasing the attachment to it brings a tremendous amount of freedom. It's interesting because, um, you know, I think about some of the workshops and retreats that I've been to. Um, over the number of years, the last number of years. And what I've noticed, you know, that how, uh, you know, especially in the new age movement, they say, we are all one, we are all interconnected. And they just keep promoting that over and over and over again. And it's like, well, what does that really mean? And I realized um, there was one workshop that I, I, I was in a few years back and there were about 30 of us. We were all sitting around the room and we were, we were just sharing our own journeys that brought us to this particular workshop and people really, because the, you know, a, a safe space was established, people were really vulnerable and were really opening up and were really sharing their stories of pain and the amount of connection that occurred in that room, you know, during that sharing period was incredible. And it made me realize that you know, we think that we have to be a certain way in life because that's the way our culture perpetuates. You know, you have to be happy all the time. You have to be this. You have to be something that you're not. But what we all are is like we are all feeling beings living, you know, trying to trying to do our best in a culture that wants us to not feel. But when we open up to the truth of who we are and we are vulnerable and we share our pains, that's when we feel really connected. So what you were talking about, about being with like-minded community, community that makes you feel safe, community that allows you to just be who you truly are, you know, where, you know, you don't have to be happy, go lucky all the time. You can be somebody who's feeling 
sad because of whatever reason or you're feeling angry because of whatever reason and you're just nurtured and held there that makes a huge difference in in helping you maintain that balance that you're talking about because you realize that you're not alone and that we are all connected in our grief as well as in our happiness so i don't know i'm just kind of going off on a little tangent here but you just triggered something when you talked about the importance of being around like-minded people because it really does help us maintain our balance or establish balance if we haven't established it yet. We're taught that we need three things on the journey. So we need the text, you know, we need the knowledge, the information. We need a group of like-minded people and we need a guru. What we most have in our culture are the texts. And for the most part, the texts that we have, because we're consumerism, right? So we have books, we have websites, we have blogs, we have all sorts of things that we can listen to for information. But um, and we often or we can easily just end up consuming that information without really applying it. And we can consume information from many different areas and um, and then just end up being confused because there's well, she said, they said that's over here. That's over there. So the information that is meant to provide freedom has now just provided another form of guilt and clutter because I have so many things I'm supposed to be implementing and doing. I don't know how to do it. So now I feel not good enough and I'm confused. So it's important to have that acknowledgement that. The information is essential, but it needs to be taken in, again, for lack of a better word, in a balanced approach. And when we take the information in, be aware of what I can actually apply of what I've learned. Mm. You know, there's a training I had taken an an initiation in a school of yoga where I took the first two levels and then the third level, um, you're supposed to go and I can't remember how many techniques you learned. It's something like 140 techniques. And I never took it because the last thing I need is an extra 140 techniques. I've got, like I really have enough <laughs> techniques. To me, that feels overwhelming, all those techniques. I have, I have enough techniques to be able to apply them and get an experience of them instead of just accumulating the techniques. So once I have that, then I can start to make some space in my life to cultivate a group energy or to surround myself with people that support an uplifting and inspiring and elevating way of being together. Not where we're always being each other's teacher and you should do this and you should do that, but just where we give ourselves the space to be who we are, where we give ourselves the space to be expansive and, uh, and, and therefore uh, more in balance. And when it comes to uh, to the guru, the word guru has two meanings. So guru bu can mean darkness, ru light. So a guru is someone who can take you from darkness to light. And the word guru also means heavy. So guru in the sense of being heavy, in the sense of being grounded with who you are. So grounded with who you are that things around you can change. You know, they'll say that the teacher is the guru grounded with who she is and the student is the lagoon the feather so a feather is taken by the wind oh she's up oh she's down oh she's up but the the guru can remain grounded so through the process of yoga we want to tap into our inner guru our inner teacher our inner sense of self our inner balance to have a guru, it depends how you look at the word guru. If you look at the word guru, like I just said right now, like someone who 
can take you from darkness to light. There's not that many gurus out there. You know, there's there are a tremendous amount of teachers. If you look at the word guru as someone who can shed a little bit of light in somewhere, then there's lots of good gurus out there. Someone who can take you from 10 watt room, you know, with a 10 watt light bulb to a 30 watt light bulb, fabulous, lots of them. But someone who can go from zero to 100, I don't think there's that many out there. So we need to be careful on our journey that, because often we're told that once the student is ready, the guru will appear. And if you're really into this, that can make you start looking for a guru in all the wrong places. And that very rarely ends well. So it's to have that awareness that I can have um, enlightened teachers or people who inspire me, but that doesn't necessarily mean that this person is a full-on guru, realized master that will never let me down. Because if I put all of my energy in a human being, eventually I will, I will, I might end up getting, feeling let down. And then that can have an impact on the entire practice. You know, where when Pete, when the guru falls and the student loses faith in the practice, that's not good. The practice is the teaching and the experience is the teaching. So we need to be aware of that in our search for the guru and if there is a search for the guru. But in the meantime, until if you don't have a guru, in the meantime, cultivating circles of like-minded and uplifting people is essential. It can't just be the internet and the books. We need to surround ourselves. And also being able to have a teacher that's not necessarily a guru. You know, I've had phenomenal teachers um, that I would sit with and just talk about life. And I never thought that they were these great masters or they were just phenomenal women with so much wisdom to share. And and I could sit with them and they could clarify with me. We could talk about the philosophy of yoga and how that man manifests in life. And And to find someone like that in our life um, is also very helpful in bringing balance uh, to our life, like the balance to be in balance when things are out of balance. Mm -hmm. You know, so when we teach an asana class, we have a lot of balancing postures. And the way that I approach my balancing posture can be from that action-oriented place of of contraction and I, I'm not going to fall where I'm frowning and my jaw is clenching and I'm shaking and I'm dumping into my joints. But you know what? I'm not going to fall. And if I do fall, I'm going to feel like such a failure and an embarrassment. Or I can approach it from that place of inertia where right from the start, I know I can't do it. And why am I here? And I'm so bad in this, you know, or I can approach it from that place of containment, relax the eyes, nurture concentration, relax the mouth, being able to be with the flow of uncertainty of my pose, the realization that there's always going to be a little bit of shaking to learn to follow the dance of uncertainty and to know that not if. But when I do fall, because this is a symbol for life, might not be in this session, might not be, but there will be a session where I will fall out of the pose. I have the grace and the knowledge to get back up. Because that's a big sign. Like when I'm in a yoga balancing pose and I fall out of the balancing pose, what the first thought, how I identify with that and how long I stay down feeling bad about the fact that I've fallen versus 
falling in, getting back up, is often, it's symbolism in terms of how we live our life and the falls that we will end up taking. So if you could summarize, just like in a neat little package, what what a balanced life actually looks like, like the simplicity of it, how would you describe it? So first, you would have to get to know who you are, where you fit in on that cycle, you know? Are you a person who has a lot of discipline and yet a lot of attachment? Are you a person who has no discipline and, um, and who always, and who full of attachment as well, right? Are you a person who, when you even hear the word non-attachment, you think that's okay, I'm just, I'm gonna delete, I'm not listening to this, this is crazy, you know? Do you have any resistance to non-attachment? Get to know what your starting point is in terms of how you relate to having discipline and how you relate to being non-attached. Once you know that starting point, and if it's even something that you're interested in, start to explore the cycles of nature in your everyday life. Like pay attention to the energy of the actions. Even if, let's look at, um, let's look at, different ways of waking up in the morning in terms of those three energies so I can get up in the morning with a very loud sound unpleasant sound and as soon as that sound comes out I can jump right out of bed you know get action or like there's no stretching no breathing no acknowledgement that I'm up get right into like an intensive exercise routine right into maybe reading the paper getting things done like there's no time everything is very action or I can uh, get up again to a very awful sound but you know just not want to get up find the first hour just kind of again for lack of a better word complaining about things or or I can start getting up to a sound that's actually uplifting you know there's so many sounds now that you can just download on your apps like little bells or that it really shifts the consciousness take even five minutes out of before you get out of bed stretch out take some deep breaths maybe if there's someone beside you say good morning things like that like those energies start off the day with a glass of water before the coffee so that right away there's that energy of containment that's there mm. so so that's self-care that's self-nurturing start with that i mean you're still action oriented you're still getting things done you're still going to go to work you're still going to do your exercises or whatever it is that needs to be done but there's that there's that feeling that permission to breathe first mm. same thing but look if let's say we look at food for example so food can be what we call like that action oriented like let's say caffeine you know where if you drink too much caffeine it creates that nervous pulsating energy food can be sustaining nourishing um, like a, a food that is alive and once I eat it I feel content but I, I still have energy after. Or food can be dead. Uh, overeating creates the feeling of inertia. Or food that's been completely devitalized of its true nature. So it's got calories in it, but it has no vitamins, no minerals, nothing. So by the time I eat it, I feel more depleted than when I ate it first. However, I could uh, eat one of the most 
nourishing meals, let's say like this beautiful salad from my garden with sprouts and nuts, and it's just amazing. And I can eat it from an action-oriented perspective. Where I'm just swallowing it. I'm not chewing anything because I'm in a rush. Or I can eat it feeling it's just not good enough, you know. It should have been a bit more sprouted and feel guilty about it while I'm eating it. Things are never good. Or I could still eat something like, let's say, uh, Grandma Lucy's white flour cookie that she made for me. That's really part of that world of inertia. But she made them with love. And I can eat them chewing and enjoying my conversation. And they will probably be better digested than that salad that was so although the food that we eat represents balance, the attitude that we use towards the food that we eat is the same thing. And that is true towards everything that we do. So certain things require a lot of energy and they can be done with a grasping, fiery depleting, or they can still be done with mindfulness and awareness. And then so to start seeing those patterns. But again, it doesn't happen overnight. It's little by little we start to see these patterns in our everyday life, and it is not designed for guilt. It's not designed to not feel good enough. It's designed for awareness and expansion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then to get to know ourselves, like these, it, when I feel stuck. So what what happens in my life when I feel stuck? And how can I get out of that stuckness? What it is that gets you out is different than what gets me out. You know, like for me, we make jokes in my house um, about, like, they'll call me Forrest Gump, you know, because I love walking so much. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an avid walker. Like, I'll, I'll walk to work, you know, it's uh, 12 kilometers, and then I'll come home at night, and I'll say, hey, it's so beautiful. You want to go for a walk? <laughs> like, I just... I love walking, but I also, walking is essential in my life. You know, I love it, but it's also medicine. It changes my constitution. It gets rid of that heaviness energy when it, it keeps things moving for me. Even though I cycle, I rollerblade, there's something about walking that mentally, energetically, I need that peace in my life on a regular basis. Not everyone. So it's to find out what those pieces are for you and what it is that creates that feeling of stuckness and then what it is that will get you out of it and what and also the awareness that the longer we've been in that place the more energy it's going to take to get out of it and it's also important to remember that um when we get into that place of stuckness i think a lot of people also get into a place of like the stuck seems to breed self-judgment. There's a, the, mm-hmm. there's a pattern there. Self-judgment and, and stuckness are interrelated. And so when people start, then they start feeling guilty. Oh, I'm in this place. I got to get out. And then they say, I should be doing this. Should, should, should. So you got to get, you have to, I think it's really important to be very mindful of the self-talk that we use as well so that we, we aren't using language like should, could, would, you know, all that disempowering language. Um, so how do you, um, what's the question I'm trying to ask here? I guess it's, um, when people get into that, that repetitive looping 
pattern of inertia where they feel stuck and there's the self-judgment and then the, uh, that, that inner talk that's disempowering. Is there a way to break through that so that they can, they can, um, connect to that conscious awareness that reminds them of what it is that gets them out of that stuck pattern. Because you know how, you know how it gets, eh? You know that pattern. You just, you really do get quite trapped in it. And then the judgment comes, then the, you know, the, then the, the self-talk comes and it just seems to get heavier and heavier and heavier. What do you say to people who get into that state? How do they, how do they find that awareness? Is there like, I don't know whether there's a global trick that you have to snap people to help people snap out of that. But if you do share. So I think that one of the first things to identify is, so when that arises, that heaviness is what is it that took, that took me there. So have I been, let's say overworking for the last five years and I'm just like, and my mother was sick and I had this to do and not to do. And the kids were in soccer and all these things. And really I haven't slept well in five years. So right now I fall in and I just, I'm stuck. Right. Mm -hmm. So if that's what's happening, then maybe giving myself the permission to nap a little bit and Mm -hmm. to be okay with the fact that I'm actually, I'm not crashed right now. I'm just restoring So the energy around the state of inertia changes. The first time when I feel guilty and I feel I should get out of there, I'm using inertia on inertia. Hmm. I'm I'm using thoughts of inertia to try to get me out of the inertia. So I'm using guilt and all of that, which is all part of that world there. What I have to do is observe that energy that's going through my body, through my mind and say, Well, maybe I just need a week right now to restore. But if it's been a long time that the heaviness has been there, you know, like uh, sometimes it'll come and visit and it just hangs on and hangs on. And and if I've even like one of the analogies that we give is let's say life is like you're on a trapezius and you're going from one trapeze to the other and then you fall, you've fallen in the net. So this is what we're talking about right now. You're in the net. Mm-hmm. What do I do now? And what happens when we're in the net is that a whole bunch of other people have fallen in the net before us. And they've decided that the net is now their home because it's not worth doing a backflip, going back up those stairs and trying again. Right. So they're just like, that's it. And they're really, really nice people. So we fall in the net and now we have all these really nice people telling <laughs> us why we shouldn't do it again. exactly okay there you go and it just pulls you deeper into the net yeah and then you don't want to get out anymore and you think how oh get it do a flip no no i tried to do a flip last month i fell i know that person tried they felt so the idea is to recognize that i've fallen in the net and and to figure out how long i've been there and what it's going to take for me to get out of it. Like sometimes, you know, in our conversation, uh, I'll be asked, you know, how long are you going to spend in the net? And I'll say, well, I don't know, three weeks. You know, <laughs> but it's the realization that it's manifested and I'm going to give it space for now. And then eventually I know what it takes for me to get back out of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's all individual because 
based on our lifestyle, based on things that are going on, and it requires a lot of self-reflection. And I really um, uh, would like to promote uh, my book on this topic here because the, my book, Inspired Living, a Guided Yoga Journal, that's available on Amazon, is very good for self-observation. That's what it's designed for. So it's a book that brings about the philosophy of yoga and then uh, provides you with questions for reflection so that you can get to know what all this means to you because it's not so important what it means to me or what it means to somebody else what's important is to get to know what it means to each and every one of us individually and how our beliefs are serving us mm -hmm. and I can vouch for how powerful your book is and how powerful questions are in general is when the right questions um, when you hear the right questions at the right time, it's amazing how absolutely transformative they can be because they, they do take you to places that you never often even consider exploring. Exactly. Like we have all sorts of beliefs and we still believe in them, but we have no idea where they came from or how they're serving us. Mm -hmm. And some of them really are, they're useless. And yet we keep breathing life into them. So it's to, but it's a whole reprogramming of how to look at things and also a whole acknowledgement of the energy that it's going to require to reprogram it. Like if we're, if we're stuck, one of the best ways to really get in touch with how much energy it's going to take to get out of that stuckness is whatever time you wake up at right now, set your alarm for half an hour earlier and get a sense of the energy that it's going to take you to get out of bed at that time, like that, that's the amount of energy it's going to take to reestablish the change that you're looking for, to get the fire going. But the question is, why not? Why not try? Or if the person chooses not to try, the recognition that I choose not to try is a form of freedom, rather. It's that form of non-attachment. And then it gives us the space again to uh, to experiencing what we're experiencing instead of always looking for what we should be experiencing. So in a nutshell, but I highly recommend uh, uh, for people to, uh, to, to speak privately, you know, with someone uh, about things like that or to, to get a group of people. You know, there's there are fabulous yoga teachers out there who are really dedicated to the practice of yoga, to the study of yoga, who have so much to share um, on the wisdom of yoga. And really, a fabulous teacher is simply one that one connects with. And, uh, and just to, to explore that and to really to start journaling uh, to, uh, and, and to develop a, a cycle of um, a circle of like-minded people. Yes, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I know, uh, you know, yoga has really, it really helped save me through some really hard times. And it continues to, it's a, it's a practice that, that continues over and over again. And when you embrace it as a lifestyle, it is uh, incredibly powerful. It's powerful, it's empowering, it's liberating. And it just, um, what I've noticed for myself, embracing the, the, you know, the yoga mindset or whatever you want to call it, um, is that it's given me far more self-forgiveness so that I do feel more balanced, even in the times when I feel, you know, 
by societal standards, unbalanced. I still feel, you know, there's a deep, there's always that deep sense of peace. Like you were using that metaphor mm-hmm. of the ocean, how it can be turbulent on top, but down below it's usually calm. There's always a deep inner calm, even when things are turbulent, um, you know, above the surface. So yes, I can totally, um, totally vouch for the power of yoga. And I'm really grateful that you were able to share that today. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's such a good practice. You know, I think we've got to spread the word as much as possible. Yeah. So that people yeah. understand, you know, how, how deep it is, how much there, how much yoga has to offer beyond mm-hmm. just the physical asana practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a whole carrot out there. There's a whole garden of vegetables <laughs> to be enjoyed. Organic. And they all come to life when they're mixed together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope that this conversation gives you a fresh way of looking at balanced living that no longer intimidates and proves to you that with conscious awareness of who you are moment by moment, you're actually living in a state of balance. And if you'd like to understand yourself more so that you're aware of your patterns and if you want to become more mindful in your behavior and effective in your actions, I highly recommend Sylvie's book, Inspired Living, A Guided Yoga Journal. It's a short read. She keeps it very, very simple. There's no crazy Sanskrit words and it's, you know, it's, it's really readable for the everyday person. Um, And there's also lots of actionable questions that guide you towards a better version of you. And even as a non-yogi, this book is pertinent. So don't think that you have to be all bendy and wear malabeads, you know, and flowers in your hair to benefit. (laughs) And I'm going to be linked to her blog and her book in the show notes on my website at devilsarco.com. And this week... There's no inspired question, but I'm not going to leave you off the hook, okay? Because there's always going to be something to poke you, prod you, and push you into being a better version of yourself. So rather than an inspired question this week, I offer an invitation to mindfully observe your patterns of action, inertia, and containment. And just notice where you may need a little more TLC. And I am looking for your help yet again. I know you're all out there listening and getting something out of these conversations because I see the constantly growing download stats and I know that they can grow even more if you would just give me a ranking and rating on iTunes. So simple. So give a girl a little helping hand so that more people move towards better versions of themselves and we can all see the better world that we know in our hearts is totally possible. And if this podcast is not incentive enough, I'm going to throw in another little carrot. So my incentive to you for a ranking and a rating And I know iTunes really is a pain in the butt. But if you go to my website, 
it's a little bit easier to kind of find your way through the iTunes maze that you can give me a, a ranking and a rating. But my incentive to you is that once I reach a magic number of reviews, all the names will go into a draw for a couple of my awesome new organic cotton eco-printed t-shirts. And if you go back to my website at devilsarco.com and click on Sylvie's blog write-up, I've included a photo of these beautiful shirts so that you can see what I'm talking about. And the black shirt is a woman's cut and the charcoal color is a unisex cut. Now I'm still ironing out the kinks with my online store uh, where I have way more beautiful t-shirt designs to offer. So stay tuned for that. It's coming soon. Just have to, you know, get into all that silly WordPress code. Ah, I like to just design. The design part is great, but the coding stuff, eesh. Anyway, so I invite you to go back to my website. Check out Sylvie's book. I'm going to have a direct link to Amazon in the show notes on my website. Check out the t-shirts and click on the direct links. That will take you to this iTunes podcast in the show notes so that you can share a little love with a rating. Just a simple request, don't you think? And with that, I end another Unplugged podcast. May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can no longer make sense of it all. Thank you for listening. And remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world, and say this with your fist pumping in the air. See you next week.